Uh, good morning, everyone. So um, as part of the missions team here, um, it's, it's great to be a part of, of planning missions month, the missions conference. But uh, one of the things that is really evident throughout this whole thing is that God is faithful. And we know that in, kind of in the back of our minds, but we don't necessarily think about it all the time. But all of the things that go into missions conference take time to plan. And so uh, those on the missions team spend hours working on, you know, having speakers and, you know, getting everything ready to go. And that's not to our glory, but it's to God's glory because his faithfulness is the one that, that, that makes that happen. And one of the things that he does and shows in his faithfulness is bringing people to come and speak because it, it seems simple enough to just, you know, ask for people to come and, and be speakers here. But then life happens. People pass away. Plans change. And so, uh, for me, it's a blessing to see that God is faithful. Uh, in, in February, we went to an IMB training down south in uh, LA, and I was actually introduced to our uh, this morning speaker. And in, even in our first conversation, I jokingly said, oh, well, you can come speak at our missions conference. But then over the months, we were kept in communication, and an invitation was given, and he accepted. And so, this morning, we're privileged to have uh, Jeff Kim with us. He's a uh, partners with IMBs. Actually, that's where uh, he's been in service there for years. And he was, he was previously the affinity leader. So he was actually over all of the missions that IMB, uh, work, missions work that they do in South America, but has recently been changed into a position as a vice president of mobilization back here based in the United States. And so it's a privilege to have him here with us. It's a, uh, we're blessed. We're very fortunate, all of us, to have access to great people uh, that come and love the Lord and give us a greater picture of what he's doing all over the world. So it's my honor to uh, call up Jeff Ginn to come speak with us. Good morning, Jeff. Thank, Thank you. you. Let, me, uh, let me pray and then the stage is yours. Father, we just thank you. We thank you for your faithfulness, that your great love for us makes provision for all that we need. We pray for Jeff, pray that as you speak to him and speak through him, Lord, that we would all uh, be instructed from your word, that we would love you more, and that you would be glorified greater in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Would you take your Bibles, please? Let's open together to the Old Testament, to the book of 2 Kings, 2 Kings chapter 6. As you're turning there, I'd like to share a story with you. Pound for pound, probably the best basketball player of all time is a fellow named Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan was a phenomenal athlete, and in a single game, he scored 59 points. The game was nearly over, and it was a foregone conclusion that the Chicago Bulls, he played for them, they were going to win. So they pulled Michael Jordan out of the game, and they put in a substitute player. And the substitute player was fouled, went to the free throw line, and he made both of his free throws. The horn sounded, and the game was over. The Bulls won. Sometime later, that substitute player retired from his journeyman career. He had played on several teams in the NBA. And the reporter asked, what was your most memorable moment in the NBA? And the player thought for a while, and then he said, I guess I'd have to say that my most memorable moment was the night that Michael Jordan and I scored 61 points. <laughs> I love that story because it makes a point. And it's this. When we work together, we win the victory. When you think about missions and what God's doing globally, it's only as we work together that we reach the nations. And I wanna tell you a story this morning from the Bible about four men who worked together to see God secure an incredible victory for his people. And again, it's found here in the book of 2 
kings. I want to ask you in honor of God's word to please stand as it's read. Second Kings, we're going to begin in chapter 6, verse 24. Now, I, I will say, the story that I'm going to tell you this morning is a long story, and we don't have time for it all, so I'm going to read portions of the story, so please hang with me. If you don't have a Bible, look to the screens. We'll project the words there. Let's begin again in 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 24. God's word says, Afterward, Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, mustered his entire army and went up and besieged Samaria. Now let me pause for just a moment and make something very clear. At this moment in Israel's history, Samaria was the capital city. The kingdom was divided, and so Israel's capital, the people of God, their capital was Samaria, and the enemies of Israel had come against her to besiege it. Sound familiar? Now, there was a great famine in Samaria as the enemies besieged it. Now, turn the page uh, to chapter 7. We're going to pick up the story again in verse 3. Now there were four men who were lepers at the entrance to the gate. And they said to one another, why are we sitting here until we die? If we say, let's enter the city, the famine is in the city and we shall die there. And if we sit here, we die also. So now let us go over to the camp of the Syrians. If they spare our lives, we shall live. And if they kill us, we shall but die. So they arose at twilight to go to the camp of the Syrians. But when they came to the edge of the camp of the Syrians, behold, there was no one there. For the Lord had made the army of the Syrians hear the sound of chariots and of horses, the sound of a great army, so that they said to one another, behold, the king of Israel has hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of Egypt to come against us. So they fled away in the twilight and abandoned their tents, their horses, their donkeys, leaving the camp as it was, and they fled for their lives. And when these lepers came to the edge of the camp, they went into a tent and ate and drank. They carried off silver and gold and clothing, and they went and hid them. Then they came back and entered another tent and carried off the things from it and went and hid them. Then they said to one another, we're not doing right. This is a day of good news. If we are silent and wait until the morning light, punishment will overtake us. Now, therefore, come, let us go and tell the king's household. So they came and called to the gatekeepers of the city, and they told them, we came to the camp of the Syrians, and behold, there was no one to be seen or heard there, nothing but horses tied and donkeys tied and the tents as they were. Then the gatekeepers called out, and it was told within the king's household. Now let me conclude by reading verse 16. 2 Kings chapter 7, verse 16. Then the people went out and plundered the camp of the Syrians. Let's pray. Father, even as we consider this morning the plight of Israel, harassed by enemies, threats arising, we come to this story that sounds so contemporary, how Israel was under attack, yet you came to their rescue, a picture of how you came to our own rescue when we were in dire distress. 
I pray that we will see the salvation that you offer. And like these lepers, take the good news of the victory that you've won to a people who are starving for that good news so that they too may plunder and receive the benefits of the salvation you offer. We pray it all in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. We're gonna trace together the story of four men who together, by God's grace, brought the good news of God's salvation to a lost and dying nation. In the course of doing so, they morph from being miserable men to being missionaries. And I've entitled today's message just that, From Misery to Missionaries. And the story of these four lepers ought to become the story of every one of our lives. And I'm going to present their story to you in three distinct scenes. The first scene is what I'm going to call a potential tragedy. A potential tragedy. Now, I'll remind us of what the Bible says. 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 24. Afterward, Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, mustered his entire army and went up and besieged Samaria. Again, these are the enemies of Israel coming against her, besieging the capital city. And as a result, the Bible says, there was a great famine in Samaria as the enemies besieged it. This reminds us of the very events that are convulsing Israel this morning. They are oppressed by ruthless enemies. Now, I want to jump out of the frying pan right into the fire because it gets worse. Now come into view these four lepers. Their plight, I'm going to describe it in two words. The lepers were, first of all, desperate. They are Surrounded by enemies, there's a siege underway. Because of the siege, they're starving. And to make matters worse, they're sick. So that if the siege doesn't get them and the starvation doesn't get them, their own sickness will soon end their lives. Strike one, strike two, strike three. The leper's situation is in so many ways hopeless. They are desperate. And you know the saying, Desperate times call for desperate measures. What are the lepers going to do given their desperate situation? I'm reminded of a story. We're in football season, so you might appreciate this story. It's told about two football teams that were playing one another. It was the Alabama Crimson Tide against the Auburn Tigers. Now, if you know anything about college football, and I realize I'm on the West Coast, but if you know anything about college football, Auburn and Alabama are arch rivals. And it was back in the days of Coach Bear Bryant. He was the great and historic coach of the Alabama Crimson Tide. And they were playing one another. And Alabama was winning, but only by a a few points. The game was near its end, and the starting quarterback for Alabama got hurt. He had to come out of the game, and they put in his substitute. His substitute was not as fleet-footed. It was a little bit slow and not as gifted. And so Bear Bryant said to the substitute, he said, now, now, son, when you go into the game, all I want you to do is hand the ball off to the fullback. He'll run the ball. Time will elapse, and we'll win the game. You got it? The substitute indicated that he did. He ran out onto the field, and he got under center. He took the snap. 
And I don't know what happened. I think he got confused or flustered. He turned the wrong way. There was no, ha- there was no fullback to receive the ball. And, and uh, in his desperation, he dropped back. The Auburn defenders were rushing him. And he just lofted up a wobbly pass. And wouldn't you know it, one of the Auburn defenders ran under it and caught it and begins to race toward the other end zone. Now Auburn's going to win the game if something doesn't happen. Well, that substitute quarterback began to race after the Auburn player, and just before he reached the end zone, he managed to tackle him. The horn sounded, and the game was over. They had a press conference afterward, and they asked Coach Bear Bryant. They said, Coach, how did your slow-footed substitute quarterback run down that defensive back who's so fast? He said, it's simple. He said, that Auburn player was running for six points. My player was running for his life. (laughs) He was desperate. And you know, in life, when we are desperate, it is often when we see God do his greatest work. And desperation can work for your good. Maybe you're in a situation where you're facing financial ruin and you're desperate. Maybe you're in a marriage and your marriage is falling apart and it's a desperate moment. Maybe your health is failing and, and you're in desperation. Could I just say to you, this may be one of the finest moments you've ever lived if your desperation drives you to become decisive. And this is the second word that I would use to describe these lepers. Are they desperate? Yes, they are. But to their credit, they are decisive. Now here, I want to point you to what they say to one another. They get into a conversation. Look into verse 3, and you'll see what they say. Besieged, starving, sick, they say to one another, Why are we sitting here until we die? Profound question. Good question. And then you see the logic of how they're approaching their desperate plight. They say, if we say, let us enter the city, the famine is in the city, we shall die there. And if we sit here, we die also. Now, therefore, come, let us go over to the camp of the Syrians. They make a decision. Their desperation leads them to decision. Could I challenge you that you do the same this morning? If you are in a desperate plight and you don't know what to do, I want you to do what these these lepers did. In effect, here's how I read the text. They threw themselves onto the mercies of God. Now, to give yourselves up to the enemy is is not what you would typically consider doing. But here is what I believe these men did. When they gave themselves over to the Syrians, they were in reality putting themselves into the hands of a merciful God, hoping that he would work on their behalf and their lives would be spared. Could I just encourage you, if you're in a desperate situation, don't be drowsy. Don't be dull, be decisive. I remember when my wife and I were dating, 
She lived at some distance from uh, Memphis, Tennessee, which is where I was in seminary. I was preparing to become a pastor and was studying uh, theology and Bible and Greek and Hebrew and all the things you do in seminary. And, and it got to be the weekend and I wanted to drive down to see my wife, or at that time, my, my, my girlfriend. So I drove down to her parents' home, about an hour out of town, and we shared a meal with her parents and spent the evening together, and I probably stayed longer than I should have, and it was probably getting close to midnight, and I had to make that drive back on that lonely country road back up to Memphis, Tennessee, and I'd been studying all week and had my belly full from the dinner, and I just got drowsy on that trip. I'm driving down the road, and getting near Memphis, I crested a hill, and I saw a traffic light in the distance, and the traffic light was green, and so I Made my way down the hill, going about 65 or whatever the speed limit was at that time. And, and as I neared the light, it turned yellow. But again, I was drowsy. And, and you know, you, when the light turns yellow, you either need to step on it or stomp on the brakes, right? One or the other. But in my drowsiness, I didn't do either. And I just let it coast through. Well, that light that had been green and now yellow turned red. And then it turned blue because there was a policeman parked right over there nearby. He turned on his lights, he pulled me over, and he gave me a big ticket because I had been indecisive. Indecision can be deadly. Now, thank God we didn't have a, I didn't have a wreck. Could have been killed. It was only a, a ticket. But if you're indecisive as regards spiritual matters, it can be deadly. And to the credit of these poor lepers, they were decisive. Let's throw ourselves onto the mercy of God. Now, the second scene is going to be what I call a powerful temptation. Their tragedy now is going to turn into a temptation. How so? Well, as strange as this may sound, it's actually rooted in a sovereign act of the Lord. God acts on their behalf. Look with me again in the Bible, and I'll show you what happens. Verse 5. This is now 2 Kings chapter 7, verse 5. So they, the lepers, arose at twilight to go to the camp of the Syrians. But when they came to the edge of the camp of the Syrians, behold, there was no one there. And here's the key phrase. For the Lord had made the army of the Syrians hear the sound of chariots and of horses, the sound of a great army, so that they fled away in the night, leaving the camp as it was. Now let me stop right there. Get the picture. Here are these four lepers, helpless as they could be, emaciated, weak, and they make their way to the camp of the Syrians. You can imagine in your mind's eye thousands of tents scattered across the desert floor, smoke arising from those camps. Perhaps they even caught the waft of some stew simmering on one of those fires. And as they go into the camp, to their amazement, they discover that no one is in the camp. It's, it's deserted. Now the tents are there, the, the clothing arraignment of the Syrians is there, the silver and gold is there, the food is there, the horses and the donkeys are there, but not one enemy is there. Why? 
The Bible says because the Lord had acted on the leper's behalf. Now, folks, don't miss this. This is a picture of the salvation that God has secured for every man, woman, boy, and girl. We are the lepers, hopeless, without recourse, without strength, without innate goodness. No way can we save ourselves from the enemy that assails us. But God did something on our behalf. He sent his son Jesus to die on the cross, to pay for our sins. He raised him from the dead. And now Christ has ascended back to the hand, right hand of the Father. And he offers salvation to all who will throw themselves upon the mercies of God. It's a sovereign act on God's behalf, or on our behalf, by the Lord. Now, what does this have to do with temptation? Well, I'm glad you ask. Because I want you to see now that in response to the sovereign act of the Lord, there's a selfish act on the part of the lepers. Would you look at this? Now I want us to go to verse eight. A selfish act on the part of the lepers. Verse eight. When these lepers came to the edge of the camp, they went into a tent and ate and drank. They carried off silver and gold and clothing and they went and hid them. Now, let me stop right there. What you see on the screen, the first three and a half lines, I think is completely innocent. In fact, I would even say it's appropriate the Syrians have been besieging Israel and have been merciless toward them. Now God has brought about this salvation and the lepers go into the camp and the lepers are probably the hungriest of the hungry. They've been ousted from Samaria. They've been sitting at the city gate begging and they come into this camp and they discover it's abandoned and they remember that stew that was simmering on the fire? Those lepers, I can imagine they must have just dove into the food and gorged themselves on it. It's like Thanksgiving, you know, after a, a big Thanksgiving meal. And then they discover the riches that are there and they start stuffing every pocket that they have and they carry off the booty and they bury it somewhere. And I think to myself, who can blame them? Good for the lepers. But here's where the temptation enters. Up to there, fine. But now let's continue reading the middle of that fourth line. They've eaten all they could. They've stuffed their pockets full. Then, the Bible says, they came back and entered another tent and carried off things from it and went and hid them. Now, what do you call it when you have all that you need but you hoard more of it than you need for yourself. Greed, here's the word I wanna use. You're a miser. You know that word, miser. These men, watch this, they went from being miserable to now being misers. Uh, Adrian Rogers, the great preacher, used to say, Get all you can, can all you get, and sit on the can. That's what these guys are doing. They're just hoarding it all to themselves. It's a temptation that we all face. God has been so good to us. We live in the most prosperous nation in the history of the world. And I don't know about you, but my wife and I, 
We have a home. We have two cars. We have food in the pantry. You open up the fridge, there's food in the fridge. We have a little bit of money in our bank account. And probably we're a lot like you. And that's not even to speak of the greatest of all blessings, the gospel. I know the gospel. My parents taught it to me. And I know that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I know this. And if I hoard it to myself and I keep it all, I am a miser. And misers are ugly. I'm going to prove it to you. I want you to look to the screen. We're going to put a picture on the screen of a lady named Hetty. And her last name's Green, Hetty Green. I wonder if, if any of you have ever heard of Hetty Green. She's kind of an obscure figure from American history, but I want to tell you just a little bit about her. She was born to wealthy parents. They were shippers uh, in the Northeast U.S. They had whaling ships and ships that plied merchandise around the world. And, and her father took young Hetty under his wing and taught her about the business from a little girl. And when her parents passed away, all of their estate came to Hetty. She was very shrewd. She took the monies that she had inherited and she began to invest them. And I think it must have been during the Roaring Twenties or something like that. Her investments made millions and millions and millions more. In fact, she became the wealthiest woman in the world. Her net worth in today's dollars would be worth billions. The world's richest woman. Now, in spite of her wealth, it's said that she rarely bathed and she considered soap and hot water unnecessary luxuries. In fact, she had a nickname. They called her the Witch of Wall Street. Now, if you look at her picture, you kind of believe it, right? She had one dress. It was a black dress. It was tattered now with use and it was dirty because she didn't want to wash it. She certainly didn't want to buy a new dress. She was so stingy, so greedy, so miserly. She had one son, his name was Ned. And Ned hurt his leg. She was so cheap, she wouldn't take him to the doctor. Did you know his leg got gangrene or some complications? They had to amputate his leg. Now you're the richest woman in the world. And your son is an amputee because of your greed. Didn't I tell you? Being a miser is ugly. Now, what is the point for this missions conference? It's this. When God has been so good to us, and we have filled our bellies and filled our pockets, and we have and to spare, yet we hide it and we hoard it, God is dishonored and we're ugly. And God wants us to not be like the misers. You know what he wants us to be? Now here I come to the last scene. Not miserable. Hey, if you came in here this morning and you're miserable, you don't have to go out these doors miserable any longer. God, God has won the victory. You can be saved. You can be forgiven. You can have eternal and abundant life. But once you've received it, don't then become a miser. No, here it is. Here's the last scene. 
Don't be miserable and don't be a miser. Be a missionary. That's right. Every one of us. Let's be missionaries. I'll show it to you in the Bible. And I'm going to do it under this heading. What I'm going to call a passionate testimony. The potential uh, tragedy gave way to a powerful temptation, and that gave way now. It's going to give way to a passionate testimony. How so? If you would look to verse 9, 2 Kings chapter 7, verse 9. Uh, and this is quite a chatty little group, isn't it? These four lepers, they like to talk it up among themselves. They're going to have another conversation with one another. And what do they say? Then they said to one another, we are not doing right. Now, when is then? It says, then they said to one another. When did they say this? When their bellies were full, when their pockets were overflowing, when they had hidden the plunder up beneath the rock on the hillside, then they said to one another, we are not doing right. This is a day of good news. If we are silent and wait until the morning light, punishment will overtake us. Now therefore, come, let's go and tell the king's household. Two things I want you to see about these lepers. And their testimony. The first thing is, they said, we're wrong. In other words, they confess their sin. You know, that's a good thing. It's a necessary thing. Didn't, didn't the scripture say, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know, sometimes we just need to say, what we're doing is not good. We're hoarding what God's given us freely. We're not sharing it. I'm talking about the good news and even the financial resources that make possible work around the globe. It's not good. And God, I repent. They said, we're wrong. And then they said, we're responsible. I like that. Now, where do I see them saying we're responsible? I see it in this. Remember, remember what the verse said? We're not doing right. This is a day of good news. And if we wait until the morning light, some evil will overtake us. In other words, they sensed their responsibility. They knew they were going to be held to an account. And I love the urgency of it, don't you? Now, remember, the Bible said that at twilight, they gave themselves over to the enemy camp. So darkness falls. They feed themselves on what they find there over the fires, and they go and hide things. I think now it must be midnight, one or two in the morning. And they're coming to their senses, and they say, man, this isn't right. What we're doing, this is not right. We've got to go and tell. We can't even wait until daylight. This is urgent. Hey, folks, Californians, we're living in an urgent hour. Our nation around us and our culture around us is decaying. Do you, do you not see the decay around us? 
It's evident at every turn. And if we wait until morning light, some evil will befall us. That is, God will hold us accountable. We are responsible. And dear Christian friend, we are blessed. Yes, we are blessed, but we are responsible as well. We're responsible to tell bad news that we know that is coming. We're responsible to tell good news that can rescue from judgment that will come. And so may God help us to do like these lepers. What do they do? They get up and they go and they tell the king's household. Now, what is the result? Verse 16, let's put that on the screen, the last verse. Then the people went out, that is the people of Samaria, the city. They've been under siege, so much so that the inhabitants were turning to cannibalism. I didn't read it, it's gruesome. You can read it, the conclusion of 2 Kings chapter six. They were eating garbage, in effect. But God provides for them, and the Bible says in verse 16, then the people went out and plundered the camp of the Syrians. You bet they did. It's a picture of how some will respond if we will but be faithful to share the good news that we know. I know not everyone's gonna receive the good news we share, but some will. Could I just conclude by telling you a story from my wife and I's missionary service Many years ago, when we first went to the country of Colombia, South America, to be missionaries, we were just learning Spanish. And uh, I was invited to preach in one of the area churches there in Cali, Colombia. And I was nervous because I was a novice in Spanish. I really didn't know the language. And there was this young woman who would come to our house every day to help my wife with the household chores. Her name's Estela. And I said to Estella, I said, Estella, I'm going to go preach this Sunday at a church. And I said, I, I want you to listen to the sermon I'm going to preach at that church in Spanish. And if I make a mistake, I want you to tell me so that when I preach on Sunday, it'll, it'll come across clearly. So Estella sat down and I began to tell her the message that I was going to share with the church. And when I finished, she said, Señor Jeffrey, yo no entiendo las cosas que me estás diciendo. Do I have some Spanish speakers in here? Yo no entiendo lo que me estás diciendo. She said, I don't understand the things that you're telling me, but I want to know more about this message that you're proclaiming. And I said, well, Estella, I said, I would love for you to know more about it. Why don't you go home and ask your husband, Ramiro, if we can come over to your house? Because the story I'm telling you, Ramiro needs to know this story as well. And your other family members that live together, they live in extended families under one roof. And, and uh, about 15 people lived in that little humble home. And so she went and she said, hey, would it be okay if the gringo comes and tells us this story? And so uh, they said, yes, tell them that they can come. So my wife and I on a Thursday night wound our way through the dirt streets of that very poor neighborhood. And we knocked on the door. And I had hoped that there might be two or three people there. I had told Estella, I said, now, Estella, we're coming. Make sure you're there. Make sure Ramiro is there. Invite your families, your neighbors. But there weren't two or three there. When she opened the door, there were about 25 people waiting on us, seated around the little room. Some were seated on the stairwell leading up to the second plancha, the second floor. And I shared with them the gospel message, how we're saved by grace through faith, and not of ourselves. It's a gift of God. Just receive it by faith. And when I finished, they were all watching very intently. And, uh, and I said, would anybody like to say something? 
And they were very quiet. They kind of looked bashfully at one another. Finally, the grandmother raised her hand and she said, Antes de oírte, estábamos ciegos. Pero ahora vemos. She said, Before we heard you, we were blind. But now we see. I said, Hey, would y'all like it if I come back next Thursday? They said, yes, come back next Thursday. And so my wife went back the next Thursday and the next and the next and the next for about a year and a half. The group grew from 25 to 40 to 60. My wife organized a vacation Bible school for that little neighborhood, had about 100 kids come. And soon enough, we, we realized we got to break this up. And we started cell groups in different homes around the neighborhood. And I said, well, now that we're all scattered, we need to come together on the Lord's Day and meet in a central place. And so there was one place where we could meet. It was the city park. There was an open air pavilion there. Had a swimming pool on one side of it and a soccer field on the other side. And we started meeting there, preaching the gospel with our core group. And they'd be, they'd be swimming on one side, which makes a good baptistry. And they were playing soccer on the other side. And we were preaching the gospel in the middle. And that church grew and grew and grew. And today, that little church will have thousands of people in worship in it. Today, in Cali, Colombia. Yeah. You know why? Because a miserable man heard the gospel when I was a boy. And I became a missionary, just telling the good news. Somebody said that uh, evangelism is one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. You ever heard that definition? It's a very good definition. This old beggar, I found bread and bread that satisfies, and I just tell others where to find it. That's what missions is. No longer miserable, and I pray not a miser, now a missionary, and God wants you to be the same. Here are three questions to conclude. Number one, why sit we here till we die? If you don't know Christ as your Savior, don't just sit there. Come see Pastor uh, Brandon or Pastor Randy, or any of the elders, and, and say, I want to know this new life in Christ. That's the first question. Here's the second question. Not why sit we here till we die, because that's a little bit selfish. <laughs> it's a good question. You can't stop there, though. Not why sit we here till we die. How about this question? Why sit we here while they die? There's a, there's a good question. All around us are people who are dying. They're going to go into a Christless eternity. If we don't Share what we've discovered. And here's a final question. Why sit we here since he died? No, he died that we might live for him and tell the good news that salvation has come. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the power of the gospel to salvation, to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, also to the Greek. Thank you that you did for us what we could never do for ourselves. You conquered the enemy, and you now give us abundant and free and eternal life. I pray no one would leave here without having received that gift. And having received it, Lord, I pray we won't be misers, but we'll be missionaries, telling others the good news we've discovered in Christ. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.